0: You're listening to the Gateway Franklin Church Podcast. To learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, including our service times here in Franklin, Tennessee, visit us online at gatewayfranklin.com. And now, here is this week's message. In 1971, there was a man named Harvey Gabor. He was an ad ad man that Coca-Cola hired to produce um, an ad. And um, at the time, it was the most money ever spent for a television ad. They spent $250,000 in 1971 for this ad, which in today's terms, that would be $1.9 million. So they spent $1.9 million to produce this ad for Coca-Cola. And they gathered a bunch of 20-somethings and teens on a hillside in in, um, in Italy. And to sing a song with the tagline, the tagline of this song, you might recognize... Um, I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. I'd like to buy the world a Coke and keep it company. A lot of social unrest in the 70s. Uh, a lot of cultural unrest in the 70s. And so like, like most things of our, our time, um, we, get, we get peddled things that do not have the ability to produce what they promise, right? So the idea of bringing hope in a time that was void of hope, that's just a lot of pressure to put on a carbonated beverage, right? (laughs) And so I was in high school, I was in high school in the late 70s, and um, there was so much civil and social unrest, my parents almost didn't send me to the public school I was supposed to go to because of the racial riots that were going on in that high school, and um, I, had to, I had to appeal to one language my mom and dad both understood very well, and that was money. And it was, if you spend my college money to send me to high school, what are we going to do? What are we going to do when it's time for me to go to college? And so they gave in. I, I went to school um, at Allentown, New Jersey. Allentown, New Jersey. So the interesting thing is around that time, I started seeing T-shirts pop up. Um, and this was, this, I, I was able to find a picture of one online. I don't know if any of you remember this T-shirt, but so Jesus Christ is in the Coca-Cola script, right? So Jesus Christ, he's the real thing. And, and so I, I would love to have met the creator of that shirt. Um, that was a fantastic image because they recognized, right? They recognized if we were placing our hope in anything other than Christ, that's really just kind of grabbing at straws, right? So the, the things that are needed in my life and your life and in, in the world's life, the, those things... Um, those things I, I describe as empty. Um, and they always call out for something. Um, but what, what's available outside of Christ is, is never enough to fill and to permanently fill those gaps. Um, uh, the core answer to the world's empty, to my empty, your empty, we, we all carry that empty, is not an emotion. It, um, because biblical hope, biblical hope is a confident expectation anchored in the person of Christ. But we have a tendency, tendency to lean on hope as an emotion. Gene and I this past week, we were in a bank. Who goes to banks anymore? I, um, I, we were found ourselves in a bank. You go to a bank because you're straightening out a problem, right? So we had to talk to a real person we we're straightening out a problem. And we walked in, the man said, uh, I'm glad you're here today. I hope I can help you. Well, that, that elicit a lot of confidence right there. And And then I don't know why, but my wife said, well, my husband wrote a book on hope. So I think, I don't, I don't know why she did that. So he looked at me and he said, he said, well, don't, you don't have to explain It's funnier my way. All right. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) That's the hazard of being, being married to to the, to the pastor. Um, And I said, uh, well, you know, biblical, or I said, hope, confident expectation is what the book's about. And he, and he said, yeah, we're probably talking about two different things, you know, about his ability to help and confident expectation. Um, but biblical hope is a confident expectation anchored in the person of Christ. And to be clear that a relationship with Christ doesn't fix everything in our life. It doesn't fix everything in our life. What, what a relationship with Christ does is he fills, fills us. He fixes us. He fixes us and carry us, carries us through all the stuff that's in life. With God, there is always hope in empty places because with God, empty is an illusion and hope is an anchor. Empty is an illusion and hope is an anchor. Let me explain. 1 Timothy 1, 1 and 2, Paul says this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our what? Wow, I just, I promised the nine o'clock that you'd be so much better. And, and you're really not. So here, let's try it again. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God, our savior, and of Christ Jesus, our much better. To Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the father in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So even in this passage, Paul's identifying hope not as an emotion, but he's identifying hope as a person. And then that with that person comes grace, mercy, and peace. Anybody in need of any grace, mercy, and peace. And so with Christ, who is our hope, we receive grace, mercy, and peace. And then later in Colossians, Paul identifies um, Jesus as our hope in a different fashion. He says that it is Christ in you or Christ in us, the hope of glory. So in other words, Christ isn't just some external person we place our hope in. He is an internal person that we place our hope in, that we actually don't just call on Christ, that we carry Christ. So by nature of, of a mathematical principle that I don't just call on hope, I actually carry hope. Right? So biblical hope is not an outcome-based emotion, but a confident trust in the person who lives and dwells inside of us. And so we're doing, I'm doing a small group on, on the book, Hope in Empty Places, and it occurred to me in my introduction to, that, to the group on that night, this very phrase that I've been um, kind of stewing on for a while now, since last Monday. So this makes hope something that can be learned, practiced, and shared. If hope is not an emotion, if biblical hope is a confident expectation anchored in the person of Christ, then hope can be learned, practiced, and shared. You with me? And so when we go through life without hope or we hit a a brick wall and we don't have, I'll go ahead because I don't know if I have this in the right place in the message or not. So I'm gonna jump to the definition of empty. Here's how I define empty. And they'll they'll catch up. When, when, When what we have to bring to bear is not enough to cover the situation we're in. How did I word that? Did you find it yet? It's probably several pages in. But I'm, I'm already short on time. All right, here it is. Um, empty is when what we're facing completely absorbs all our available resources without changing the result. Anybody face anything empty in your life? You you, you look back and you can say, I've walked, through, I've walked through empty, right? All right, this is a good definition, isn't it? Right, because cause, cause we'll throw whatever we can at whatever situation we're in. And as long as we keep thinking there's another option or another person to go to, we can keep our hopes up because there's, there's another option, there's something else we can do. It's when we hit those places where it absorbs, takes everything that we've thrown at it and it doesn't change, then that gives way to phrases like, I quit, I give up. And it's interesting enough for me in marriage, I hear, I'm leaving, I'm leaving, right? Right? The biblical hope is not outca- an outcome-based emotion, but a confident trust in the person who lives and dwells inside of this. Um, let me prove this to you, Genesis 1, 1 through 3. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and now the earth was formless and what? Okay, you, 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 you gotta keep up with me today, okay? Here we go. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and yeah. Yeah. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Okay, here. Oh, now see you're a, much better. I, I I love it when you can keep up with me like that. All right, so did but did you catch the premise? The premise of this message series, the premise of this book, the premise of this thought lands in in Genesis 1, 1 through 3. All right, here it is. Number one, God preceded empty. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless, and it was empty. So God precedes empty. Then what happens? God was present and empty. So then the Spirit of God hovered over the waters, Spirit of God hovered over the waters. So He preceded empty; He was present and empty, and then, and then, He produced full out of empty. And the earth was formless and empty. The Spirit of God hovered over the waters, and the Lord said, "Let there be light," and there was light. So He precedes empty; He's present and empty, and He actually produced full out of empty. All right, so. The way God produces full out of the empty hasn't changed since Genesis. He hovers over it and he speaks into it. He hovers over it and he speaks into it. You can't trust your eyes or even your ability to reason in situations that appear to be empty. You have to trust the truth. Hope is always present with an ever-present God. And you need this one in this culture today. Feelings are real, they just aren't always true. With God, empty is an illusion and hope is an anchor. The next time you come across the word hover in scripture, it is when Solomon builds the temple. Now, this is generations. This is generations in process, generations. So, so Israel's delivered out of Egypt. Um, God gives Moses um, these 10 commandments, and then he gives them instructions on how to build the tabernacle. This is the first portable church. It's the tent, and they had this tent, and it's made in a very specific way, and this tent is gonna be the presence where the presence of God rests, specifically around what is called the Ark of the Covenant. And this was going to be where the presence of God was. And the the seat on top, the table on top, and the angel's wings coming up and touching one another, that was called the mercy seat. This is where the presence of God would meet. And Moses would meet God in the tent, in the Holy of Holies, around the ark. And they carried this ark and this tent everywhere throughout the history of Israel and generations and generations happen, and David becomes the first king, and David wants to build God a tabernacle, and God says, No, that's not for you to do. It's going to be for your son. And then Solomon finally builds a temple. I just want you to get a sense of generations and generations and generations. And so when this tabernacle is built, this is a big deal. It's a big deal. And it gets built. And they build it and Solomon prays a prayer of dedication over it. And the word says, and the spirit of God hovered over the tabernacle. And when the spirit descended and hovered over the tabernacle, it says that the priests and the Levites inside the tabernacle could not stand up that the weight of the glory of God was so tangible that it pushed them down to their knees and their hands and they couldn't perform the duties in which they were prescribed to do in the dedication of this temple. I mean, the activity would have been frenetic around this temple and it just ceased because the weight of the glory of God filled, filled the temple. And then you read a couple chapters later. God speaks and he says, in this place I will never turn my face from. It will always bear my name. What was it before he showed up? It was a really pretty building. It was really expensive. It was really pretty. It took a long time to build and it was really cool to look at. And then the presence of God hovers over and he filled it, and then it was a refuge. It was a sanctuary. It was a place where they went to meet God. He hovers over and speaks into empty, normal stuff, and he makes it fall. The next time we read hover in Scripture is to a teenage girl. And an angel comes to a teenage girl, and he says, you are going to give birth to a Messiah. And the Word says that she, this, this, this encounter with this angel... It troubled her. You do a little bit more digging into the language. She was perplexed and confused by the encounter. Per- perplexed and confused by the encounter. Now, if you, if you know a little of the story, you would imagine her, some of her confusion was that she was a virgin and he's, the angel's telling her that she's gonna give birth to Messiah. But I believe that her perplexion and her confusion is a little deeper than that. And I think it has a direct correlation to how you and I encounter hope. All right, so here's my first conjecture. One is that Israel had been waiting for, for, for the Messiah for several thousand years. And so she had to be confused about why now. She had heard her grandparents talk about it, her parents, grandparents, grandparents, grandparents. She had heard every generation talk about the coming of the Messiah. It would, as, it would have been as familiar of a topic as anything could be familiar to you right now. As familiar. She'd have known it. She'd heard it. She'd known the scriptures. But now an angel's coming to her in that moment, telling her that she is going to give birth to this Messiah. And I have to believe there was perplexion and confusion around why now. And here is the hope axiom number one. When you wait that long for something, it's easy to lose hope. You just, you just kind of get in the pattern of doing the next thing you know to do because something inside of you has died. Listen, this may be more applicable to the end of this particular piece here, but if, if we believe hope is just going to be outcome induced, that, that we're only going to be able to live in hope when we receive what we're looking for and not what God speaks into in the moment, we're going to miss out on living in a lot of hope. You follow me? If we're waiting for an outcome to live hopeful and not in a promise or the presence of God, we will be waiting a long time when we could have been living in hope in that gap. All right, here's a second point of perplexion and confusion for her, I believe. Out of all the women in the world, how did she qualify? So why now, why me? The hope axiom for me this is few people feel worthy of hope when they're empty sitting in situations that have sucked the life out of you, sucked all your resources out of you. It's amazing how the enemy can turn that into a worth issue. Well, you're not, you're not worthy. There's been no intervention because you're not worthy. No one's coming to your aid because you're not worthy. You don't, you don't deserve this. You'd actually deserve what you're in. You've made these choices. You've done this thing. They're empty because of you. It's amazing how the enemy will spin. And listen, if one lie doesn't stick, he's just gonna to turn to the next one. He don't care which one works just as long as he gets one to stick, All right? So the longer you, you live in this hopeless thing, you don't even feel worthy of hope. Here's the third one. No one expected the Messiah to come as a baby, right? The expectation was for a political Um, military king that would bring um, political independence, religious independence. They were looking for someone that was gonna end the cycle of Israel being under someone else's rule, okay? And so there's no way then you're looking for a baby to do that, all right? So here's the hope axiom number three. Hope can look much different than you imagine. Don't miss it just because you didn't anticipate how it was gonna look. And the application of this piece for me is that when, I, when I'm so desperately needing something to happen or, 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 and, I'm, and I'm trying to get this emotion up, if you will, it's usually ta- attached to where I think it's going to come from. Like, like I can see that the, it's going to come from here. I, I can see it's going to come from here. Well, I, I'm really depending on this person to come through for me. See, and, and if we're mapping out where this is going to come from, we may very likely be missing where God is bringing it. I remember when we planted Gateway and we were raising money to plant Gateway before we left. There was a whole host of people we thought would, would help support this dream. And so many of those did not. And there were so many people, we didn't even give them a second thought. And they were the ones who helped support this dream. It was crazy. And I will admit that our emotions, Gene and I were tied to the no's and the yes's, Right? But if we tie our hope, living in hope to an emotion, we will be up and down, up and down, up and down. But if we tie it to a person and not an outcome, then we really can learn and practice and live in and transfer hope. Here's the last one. She wasn't married yet. Here's the obvious one, right? She wasn't married yet. She was a virgin. Hope axiom number four. It's easier to believe in the empty you feel than the hope you're promised. It's easier to believe in the empty you feel than the hope that's promised. Um, Mary only asked one question. How would this take place since she was a virgin? It's not an empty faith question, actually. It's a pretty faith-filled process question, right? Because when Zechariah gets told that him and his wife Sarah, just up about 10 verses in Luke chapter one, I think it is, he says, he laughs when the angel says, you're, you're gonna have a baby. He laughs uh, and says, you know, I'm old, my wife's old. And the angel then says, Well, you know, this is still gonna happen, but you're not gonna talk for 10 months. Right? So why isn't this happened to Mary? Because Mary is not laughing. Mary's not saying this is not possible. She she's genuinely curious, right? How's this gonna be? Here's the angel's answer: the Spirit of God will hover over you. And then he says, and nothing is impossible. With God, that's one translation. You do a little more digging and and it can break out this way. The spirit of God will hover over you and no word of God ever fails. How does God bring full out of empty? He hovers over it and speaks into it. The angel's saying, "I, I can understand your skepticism. However, I was just in the throne room of God. And he sent me to tell you that this is going to happen through you. The old old evangelist phrase was, someone sent me here today to tell you, you know, that's the old evangelist and how that would be preached in a different setting. But when God speaks truth, life, is it just me that I run those words through the filter of where I'm sitting and not the other way around? well, if you're gonna bring life into this, do you understand all of this empty that I'm experiencing? Here's the takeaway. The funny thing about hope is when we need it the most is when we're in circumstances when we believe it the least. In the middle of your empty, when God speaks, take his word for it. I heard this leadership axiom Uh, leadership quote years ago. It says, when someone shows you who they are, believe them. And so in this case, when God speaks and says what he says, believe him, believe him. The, The best description for me of God comes in Romans chapter four. In Romans chapter four, Paul is taking us through the story of Abraham, a brief story of Abraham, and how Abraham received the promise of God that God would make out of him a great nation, and I love the fact that, that, that God is a, an illustrative God. So he tells him this at night, brings him outside his tent and has him look up into the stars in the sky. And I think they're like 20 trillion, 20 billion trillion. I, I, I've lost track of the number of stars, right? And so he takes him and says, look up Abraham. This is going to be, your offspring is gonna outnumber those stars. Now, I need you to follow me. And Abraham picks up family and goes to a land that he did not know what that land was going to be when he picked up and went. And the scripture says that that action, that act of obedience, that movement was credited to him as righteousness. In other words, in our new covenant, as, as um, Erica said, in our new covenant language, that was salvation to Abraham that he believed God, he moved on what God would say and it was credited to him as righteousness and it would be 25 years before he ever had one son from Rachel, Isaac. 25 years. And that's just, that's just one son. That's not a family, a nation, us sitting here. And here's then in all that description, here's how, in all that kind of story, here's how Paul describes God. He calls him a God who calls things that are not as if they were. That's the description of God he uses. That we serve a God who calls things that are not as if they were. We only see what we can see. God sees what he's gonna do. And he speaks into that. He hovers over it and he produces that. And if we wait to see if it's gonna happen before we get our hope up, we will not live in very much hope. Outcomes are the peaks of certain uh, hills in our lives and valleys. We, do, we live a whole lot more in the middle than we, do, than we do up top. But it doesn't mean we can't live in hope through that entire process. The greatest symbols of Christianity are empty symbols. Right? There is no other faith system that has the founder of that faith dying for their followers. Now, there's some martyrs when you look back through other ancient faiths, but there isn't anyone who willingly gives himself up for it. And so Jesus willingly gives himself up for us, and he dies on the cross. The power of the cross is not in its shape or its, or its uh, material. The power of the cross is that it's empty. We have an empty symbol <laughs> as the greatest symbol of our faith, an empty cross. Why? Because when Jesus said it was finished on the cross, it says then that that Satan was made, he made a spectacle out of him, a spectacle. All right, I'll break that word here in a second. The blood of Jesus that we sang about then broke the bondage that we had to the sin that that had kept us captive. Then he goes behind the veil, which I talked about where the ark was, And he anchors us there. The the, the veil that was between us was torn and we're no longer separated by God, having to go through any other intermediary. We go to God through Christ. The The power of our faith is that he died on that cross and that he rose from the dead, leaving an empty tomb. So an empty cross and an empty tomb are the best symbols of Christianity. Now, when it says that he made a spectacle out of the enemy, the cross was to to do more than just um, kill someone. The cross was supposed to um, um, defame, to mark as fraud. So, So the cross wasn't just trying to end the life of Jesus, it was to end the influence of Jesus. That that movement was to die with Jesus on the cross. And yet what happens? Well, we sit here today. God flips that entire script. And the, the idea of making a spectacle out of is a military term. So if, if you're the conquering king, you would take the defeated king into your city. The defeated king would have still been wearing um, garb that would have spoken to his um, dominance in other fields of battle. Not not unlike we would see admirals and generals and things wearing all the the regalia of everything they've done and earned, right? And so the the idea here is that all the stuff would be stripped off in front of the winning nation. And so this person standing up here and all the regalia and the winning king going, yeah, that's not you. Yeah, that's not you. Yeah, no, you're no, until the man's nude in front of this new, this this kingdom. This is what Jesus did on the cross. Didn't just defeat Satan, he, he embarrassed him, shamed him. You thought you were doing this. This is what was done. So as a situation that seemed to be the most empty. Three days later turns into the most full. Um, God does his best work when things seem empty. In fact, I would say until things are empty, I'm not sure we see him in his fullness. Um, um, All right, let um, let me share this. So, if you've been around Gateway, you've seen me use this illustration. Uh, I've been using this illustration since I was a high school pastor. All right, two, yeah, two Coke cans, identical Coke cans. Nothing, there's nothing different about these two Coke cans. I'm sorry for the baptistry. You can't see this. This will allow 15 more people to see it and, and, and 10 that saw it previously not. So uh, we've picked up five. All right, so, so here is, here's the first can with my whole weight. Nothing, doesn't do anything to that can. Identical can, same weight, you know, crushes. So what's the difference between the cans? Well, obviously now you know one was full, one was empty, but it's more than that. This can is pressurized, right? That means that the pounds per square inch, the PSI that I was exerting on top of this can, and again, given the fact that I've done this since I was in my early 20s, my PSI has grown. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I've, yet, I've yet to be able to have any impact on the can, so that's, that's good news. But it's pressurized, can's pressurized, which means the, the carbonation here is pushing out at a PSI greater than the PSI I'm putting on top of it, right? This is what happens when we carry around this Christ in you, the hope of glory. It it doesn't eliminate the pressure that comes from the outside of us. What it does is it minimizes, it actually cuts off the intent of that pressure that the enemy wants to put on us. Because it pushes out, what we have inside of us pushes out at a greater force pushing in. Paul, he didn't have Coke cans, so Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He said, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. Why? It's it's purposeful. To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Because, listen, it can be learned, it can be practiced, and hope is also to be displayed, to be transferred. We are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Interesting, right? Hard pressed, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. That's all the PSI pushing out, but there's something greater pushing out. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so this life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. We have the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ working on the inside of us. And that force pushes out at a greater capacity than anything pushing inside of us. Empty is an illusion because God precedes it, is present in it, and creates full out of it. It's still, it might feel empty unless you're able to tap into the hope that is Christ. And then we live differently in the scope of that because it's not empty, even though it might look and feel empty. And then we have to anchor ourselves in this person. And Hebrews tells us this. Hebrews chapter six says, in the same way, verse 17, in the same way God in his desire to show to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable nature of his purpose intervene, intervened and guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unto- un- unchangeable things his promise and his oath in which it is impossible for God to lie we have fled to him for refuge would have strong encouragement and indwelling strength to hold tightly to the hope set before us this hope this confident assurance we have as an anchor for the soul a safe and a steadfast hope that enters within the veil of the heavenly temple that most holy place in which the very presence of God dwells, where Jesus has entered in advance as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Hold tightly to the hope set before us. The message version says this, to reach up and grab hope with both hands. And that not that an awesome way to say it? To reach up and grab hope with both hands. You've heard me tell you the story, many of you, of when my mom was diagnosed with lung cancer. And um, this was 10 years after she was removed from breast cancer. And um, it, it really took its toll on the whole family. And I remember I was on staff at a church in Atlanta and I beat everybody to the altar that Sunday. Like there wasn't one parishioner that beat me to the altar to pray on that Sunday. And I, I, was, I believe in healing. I was calling out, Lord, heal mom. And it was in that moment that I heard the Lord speak to me inside. My grace is sufficient. And I got real excited about that. I'm like, all right, this is cool. M- Mom's gonna live. And then I heard the Lord say just as clearly, it's not what I said. What I said was my grace is sufficient. And I was like much more sobering but what was was going on? God was in the middle of this. He was completely aware and present in this. And then I remember the rest of the passage. My grace is sufficient, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Whoa. Is it possible that we haven't experienced the depth of the strength of God because we're so afraid of our own weakness? We're so afraid of being in that empty place. That empty place scares us at such a level that we jettison the hope that we have in Christ. But yet, it's in that place where we experience this. And, and then, and Paul gets really specific after that. He says, "You'll have to go back to like the first page of those notes." Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. I, I read this. I will carry an air of confidence. In my weaknesses. I will boast even more of my weaknesses. In my weaknesses, I will carry an air of confidence so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight. So in delight, I'm thinking, I will experience and display the strength of Christ in these circumstances. I will delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And so in that, he dismisses a lot of things that you and I would call, would call empty. He, he would dismiss those and saying, ah, but that's where the power of Christ is. So when we're busy being consumed by the chasm we think we're living in, the experience we think we're walking through, biblical truth is it's not empty biblical truth is god has preceded that situation he is present in that situation and it's that very situation where he specializes in creating full stuff will we live in that hope will we reach up with both hands and hold on to the hope then and that's why i say it can be learned it can be practiced it can be transferred because it is in the person of christ where this hope resides we can have a confident expectation. Scripture, I don't know, there's, I don't remember exactly how many promises there are in the Bible. I don't know, like 1,700 or, or something. And it says that all of them were fulfilled in Christ. The yes and amen to every promise in Scripture is fulfilled in Christ. And we have Christ. Are you, are you in a place today that feels Empty? Are you in a place today that has taken every ounce of what you could bring to the table and have left you in the very same place? Today, you can reach out and grab a hold with both hands, the anchor that is Christ. I grew up in a coastal community of sorts. I mean, Ocean County, New Jersey was a coastal county. And what I learned there is when a storm came through, you wanted to get your boat out of the dock, not tied to the dock. It was tied to the dock, then it would get smashed in the dock. What you wanted to do is take that boat into the harbor and anchor it. That anchor would allow that boat to move, but not go anywhere. And I know, man, winds blow and tides rise, and it can feel like this. But if you can settle down and realize you're anchored in Christ, wow, how much more hope can you live And you might not have ever put your hope in Christ. He he may have seemed like a fairy tale or just something and someone sold um, as a a cultural trinket. But I would say today that you're in the room or you're watching online because there's more to it. You believe there's more to it than that. And you've just found yourself in a place where you're willing and want to look to see if there's more to it or not. The beauty beauty of Christianity is that Christ has done all the work for us. He loved us before we loved him, He died and gave Himself up for us before we ever give ourselves to Him. He's He's already gone first, He's a first goer. So we receive what He's given. We receive what he's done, and then we have the rest of our lives to walk that out. You you will never have all your questions answered before you turn to Christ. You just have to have one answered. (laughs) Do you want something different? That's the only question you have to have answered. Yes, Pastor, I want something different then you can say father receive me scripture says that he is faithful and just to receive us when we confess our sin to him which means it's a confession that our way doesn't work hasn't worked won't work and to believe and trust in his will I can't pray that prayer for you. You're not supposed to read something that I had written and handed to you to read. It is something that comes from the inside of you that says, I want more. I want different. I don't want what I have. And believe, you, believe me, he'll meet you there. So here's how I want to close out a response. I want, I want everyone to stand up if you've been around here a while, you know I'm not the pastor says, everybody close their eyes. I want everybody to see what's going on. You would say, pastor, I find myself in a situation. I don't know if I would have called it empty um, before the message, but I'm in a hard enough situation that feels empty. I want you to raise your hand. I'm I'm in a situation that feels empty. I want you to look, see who has their hands up because this is a place that we lend faith, we borrow faith and we link faith, right? So with the people with their hands up and you're around someone with their hands up, I want you to pray for them. I want you to pray for them to receive the hope of Christ. And if you haven't received Christ, listen, come find me. But but it's not because you need me to find Christ. You can find Christ in this moment when you pray and just give your life to him. Communion is still available on my left and my right as they begin to lead us in worship. You're either going to be worshiping, you're going to be taking communion, or you're going to be praying for someone, right? So Father, in this time, in this moment, Lord, do what only you can do. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's move. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Again, to learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, find us online at gatewayfranklin.com. Thanks for joining us today.